0: Good morning. I uh, enjoyed worshiping with you this morning. It's great to be back again. Uh, I'd like to ask you if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, I was here back in April, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure most of you don't remember this, but I preached from the book of Jeremiah that Sunday as well. And I promise that we're not going to have a test or a quiz. Um, But at Liberty, I teach Old Testament, which means I get to teach the parts of the Bible that most people don't read very much. And one of the parts of the Bible that I focus on in my teaching is the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is actually the longest book in the Old Testament, even longer than Psalms and Isaiah. Jeremiah may not be a book that many of us are familiar with, but there's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 29 that is probably one of the most well-known popular verses in all of Christianity. Uh, If there's a verse that anyone knows in the book of Jeremiah it's usually the verse that I want to focus on and that's Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 and in this passage the Lord speaks through Jeremiah and here's what he says For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And some versions of our Bible even say, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you. All right. How many of you have heard this verse before and were familiar with it? Okay, you knew Jeremiah 29.11 before we ever turned there. There's a Christian website, uh, Bible Gateway. Uh, they revealed that in 2013, Jeremiah 29.11 was the most shared Bible verse on their entire website. Often, when Christians are trying to give an encouraging word to each other on Facebook or Twitter, Jeremiah 29, 11 is often one of the verses they share. And we all know that if it's on Facebook or Twitter, it's either true or good theology. Right? All right, and, and I think one of the reasons this passage is so popular, Ben Irwin says, it, it sounds like... A Christian motivation poster. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your well-being and for future. He says, it sounds something like this. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed? Don't worry. God has a plan for your day. Facing a rough patch at work? Take a breath. Your future is bright. Money's a bit tight? Relax. And don't worry. God is going to. To prosper you. In fact, one well-known Christian writer says this. uh, Based on this verse, wonderful changes are going to begin to happen in your life. As soon as you begin to live your life on purpose. Okay, and one of the things that I like to do when I'm preaching is try to motivate and encourage people. That's usually a good thing. But I want us to see this morning that one of the problems is that Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a motivation poster. In some ways, this passage reminds me, uh, it's, it's sort of like the Old Testament version of Philippians four thirteen, which is a verse that we also know and see a lot on Facebook. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My son, after playing sports for a number of years, has said that verse is the athlete's catch all verse. You see it everywhere. I've seen it on gloves in baseball that have missed ground balls. I've seen it on bats that somehow mysteriously did not make contact with what they were swinging at. And one of my friends, uh, Wayne, who's a marathon runner, said, I've seen people with t-shirts that say Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 on it, sitting in the grass, rubbing their legs with cramps after 21 miles. You see, the problem is, is that that's not a verse about scoring touchdowns and hitting home runs. It's a verse about God giving Paul the strength to fulfill the calling that he had placed on his life. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is like that. I think actually if we understand what this verse means, it actually tells us something that's even better than what we see on Facebook and Twitter. There's an old saying about reading the Bible, and it's true sometimes of the way that I often read it. It says, wonderful things in the Bible I see, most of them put there by you and by me. And what I'd like to see this morning is what does Jeremiah 29, 11 mean for us and promise us? But I I think we know this and realize this. First of all, it is not a promise of personal prosperity. It is not a guarantee that you are going to live a life of health and wealth. And you might have thought, well, I didn't need to come to church to know that. I could have checked my checkbook, and I knew that already. Okay, but that's not what this passage is promising. A while ago, a television evangelist announced that God had told him to buy a $65 million jet. And he wanted his supporters to pay for that jet. He said that it would only take 200,000 people giving $300 each to make this a possibility. Jeremiah 29.11 is not a promise that he is going to get his airplane. The same evangelist wrote a book called Total Life Prosperity. Fourteen steps on how to have a successful family, financial blessing, and physical (laughs) well-being. And who could want more than that? It's easy for us, I think, as as American Christians to believe that God has promised us prosperity. We're doing pretty well. But if our brothers and sisters who are in prison in North Korea this morning for their faith or other impoverished and persecuted Christians around the globe would read their Bibles, they might see things a little bit differently, right? This passage is not promising that people who love God and trust Him are going to have good health, necessarily. Some of the strongest Christians I know live with pain and illness every day in our lives. Some of you love the Lord, and you're going through those kinds of struggles, and and I see people every day who face those kinds of things and have far more faith and joy and trust in God than I do. I've often thought that it would be great when we became Christians if God would mail to us a laminated card that said, you're now, you know, a Christian. You are exempt from all the problems and hardships in life. If your boss got on you at work, you could just take out your card and say, leave me alone. I'm in the family, okay? But but God doesn't promise us that. In fact, The Bible actually says the opposite. It says that if you love Jesus, you will face trials. You're going to suffer. At times you may even be persecuted. And the Bible even says you will go through tribulation as a follower of Christ. I I, I think there are so many people today who end up disappointed with God and disillusioned with their faith because they believe that God has really promised them prosperity, success, and a problem-free life. One of the strangest hospital visits I ever made was with a man. His doctor came by for his pre-operation visit that morning, and he said, Doc, you don't have to worry about doing the operation this morning. You can, you can call up and make a, key, a tea time if you want. Because I'm not going to have surgery this morning. God's going to heal me. And the doctor said, well, just in case that doesn't happen, let me tell you what we're going to do here in the next couple of hours. And I remember after the surgery was over, my friend, he was really disappointed that God had not healed him. And I had to remind him, well, God did heal you. He just didn't do it quite in the way that you expected." Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope. It's not a promise that God is going to fulfill all of your dreams and hopes and aspirations. This is not a passage about personal fulfillment. It's not a promise about you living your best life now. Because as a Christian, your best life is going to be on the other side of eternity. It's not a promise if you're graduating from high school. It's not a promise that you're going to go to Farum or Liberty or Virginia Tech and make the dean's list or get a 4.0. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a Fortune 500 company wanting to hire you as soon as you get your degree. It doesn't mean that your stock portfolio or your IRA is going to increase by 400%. And if it does, I need to talk to someone here this morning who's a broker. I need some help. It's not a promise that you're going to be six foot six and play next to LeBron James. It's not even a guarantee that you're going to be the guy or the girl on your high school team who scores the goals or hits the home runs. It just doesn't promise us that. We had graduation last week at Liberty and many of our School of Divinity graduates are going out into ministry and they love the Lord and many of them are just like Jeff and and, and going into places where they're serving God. Some of those people, even though they love the Lord, they're going to fail. They're going to have financial hardships. They're going to struggle. They're going to have to move on to another ministry sometimes because of conflict or hardship, not because they didn't have enough faith. But simply, life is hard when you're serving God. We, we looked at that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 this morning. My strength is in my weakness. Because then other people can see God, not just me. My strength is not in my success. My strength is not in my health. My strength is not in my intelligence or whatever. My strength is in God. And God often shows up in our lives in times of weakness. <laughs> what if I were to start a new business and look at Jeremiah 29 11? God has planned to prosper me. So obviously, my business is going to be successful. One of the things that seems to be really popular right now are food trucks, and maybe it's because of the Food Network. And we have some food trucks in Lynchburg, and one of them makes really, really, really good donuts. <laughs> but, you know, what if I was reading Jeremiah 29, 11, and I, you know, I, I think I'm going to open up a food truck. And I like donuts, so I'm, I'm going to sell donuts in my food truck. However, I, I don't have a truck... I don't know how to drive a truck, I don't know how to make donuts, I don't like getting up early in the morning when you have to make donuts, and I don't know anything about accounting or food service, but I have Jeremiah 29.11. How many of you would like to invest in my business? Probably not. Okay, so... (laughs) I think we've gotten an understanding of what Jeremiah 29.11 is not about, but the starting point for sort of understanding this passage is to realize that this verse does not stand by itself. We have to understand Jeremiah 29.11 in light of the context of the whole chapter of Jeremiah 29 and in the immediate context of verses 11 to 15. You know, we can't simply read the Bible by taking a verse out of the Bible and using it as our thought for the day. There's there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible, but you have to read it carefully and prayerfully and studiously sometimes. We can't take verses out like fortune cookies and like, oh, I got my word for the day from God. Forrest Gump would say the Bible's not like a box of chocolates. And so you have to read the Bible in context, and there's a context to this passage. We've probably all heard the story about the man who uh, opened up his Bible looking for a word from God for the day, and unfortunately he came to Matthew 27 that said, Judas went and hanged himself. And so that one didn't speak to him too well, so he went to Luke chapter 10... Go thou and do likewise. And then finally, his last, and he just closed it up after this, What thou doest, do quickly. I see, we we know that we don't read the Bible that way. We have to read it in context. And I hope that reading God's Word is part of your life every day. It's how we grow as Christians. It's important not just to come to church to be fed, but to get that in all of our lives. But we have to read the Bible carefully carefully and we have to read every individual verse in light of the historical context and the literary context. And I don't want to sound like a professor too much, but that's that's just the way it is. But let's look at verse 10 in Jeremiah 29 and let's read down to verse 14 and try to understand a little bit about this context. The Lord says for thus says the Lord when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your hearts, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Okay, this this is a great passage. There's a promise here, but it's important to understand that this passage was written to a specific group of people. At a specific time, in a specific situation. And this chapter in the Bible is actually a letter. You are reading someone else's mail this morning. And it's back in the days of snail mail, because there was no email. And these letters would go back and forth between Judah and Babylon. And so Jeremiah is writing this letter to the exiles, the Jewish people that had been taken away to Babylon in God's judgment. Okay? And so we're getting to sort of read their mail, and this is a specific promise that is given to them. And and again, just something important about reading the Bible, we do not take specific commands and promises sometimes that are given to specific people in the Bible and immediately adopt them as ours. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. If you're reading that passage, I hope you don't take that command literally to yourself. When God tells Joshua to go out and fight against the Canaanites, I don't go and enlist in the Marines. Okay, that would be a dangerous reading of that passage. Uh, God tells Isaiah to go preach naked and barefoot for three years. Most of you are probably glad I didn't take that personally this morning. <laughs> I remember uh, a few years ago, Ray Lewis, after the Baltimore Ravens had won the Super Bowl, coming into the locker room and cheering and and saying i knew we were going to win because no weapon formed against us shall prosper isaiah 54:11 the problem is isaiah 54:11 was not written to the baltimore ravens it was written to the jews who were living in exile and so i think this passage it's the word of god for us but you have to understand this was a promise to this specific group of people And what was going on here was Jeremiah was giving these people hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. These people had been taken prisoner by the Babylonians. Some of them in 605 B.C. Most of them in 597 B.C. And they had been forcibly taken hundreds and hundreds of miles from their homeland. They were living in a pagan land with pagan gods and pagan customs. They were separated from being able to worship God at the temple and to offer sacrifices and to enjoy his presence there. It appeared to them as they were going through this that God had abandoned them, that God had forgotten about them. They wondered, is our special relationship with God as his chosen people, is it over? Does God love us anymore? The Babylonian army was the most powerful military machine of their day, and they controlled the Middle East, and from a purely human perspective, it looked like there is no way that we'll ever get to go home again. There's no way that we have a hope and a future as a people And in the midst of that hopelessness, God steps in through his prophet and says, I have the plans for you that mean you have hope for the future. And what God was promising to this specific group of people at this specific time, that one day the exile would be over. One day God was going to bring his people back to the land. One day... They would rebuild their cities. One day, they would be back at the temple and able to worship God. And the most amazing thing about this promise is that God says, I am going to start my work of restoration and renewal with the exiles. The people that had been taken away in Babylon, those are the people. That I'm going to show my grace to. You see the goodness and grace of God that's in the middle of all of this? The hope that he's given to these people? Okay. Now while this was going on. One of the reasons that this was so special is that. There was one group of Jewish people that were living in the promised land. And then there were these exiles. That were living in Babylon. And the people that were still living in the land, they believed that they were the favored ones of God because they hadn't been taken away as prisoners. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, they call themselves the choice cuts of meat. (laughs) We're prime rib. That's why we got to stay home. And God sent the corned beef hash off to Babylon. What the people living in Judah in the land did not know is that really what was facing them was more judgment. The Babylonians were coming back. They were going to take the people away. Many of them would be killed in the invasion. The temple was going to be burned down. More Jews were going to be taken into exile. And these people who thought That they were favored by God were actually facing more judgment. And God's plan was to favor the exiles in Babylon. In Jeremiah 24, Jeremiah says the bad figs that are rotten and that will be thrown away are the people living in the land. The good figs are the people that have been taken away to Babylon. And they were not good figs because of the way they had lived their lives. They were sinners just like everyone else. But they were good figs because God had determined that he would bless them and restore them and renew them in his grace and in his compassion. And so we learn in this passage again all over in a different way as we do many places in the Bible about the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. That's what this is about. I, I'd like you to take your Bible and just turn over one book to Lamentations chapter 2, verse 8. And, and, I, and I want us to see something here that Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a blanket promise that God would bless all of the people all of the time And in fact, we read something that is exactly the opposite in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 8. And here's what it says. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying it. He caused Rampart and Wall to lament, and they languished together. I want you to notice the word there, the Lord determined. It's the same word used there that we have in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you. His plans for the people in the land, judgment. Lamentations 2.8. His plan for the Jews that were living in exile, forgiveness and restoration. And that's what Jeremiah 29.11 is all about. It is giving people hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. I think to get the full picture of what Jeremiah 29 and 11 is about, if you want to go back there, there are a couple of other things that we need to remember as well. First of all, this is not a passage given to individuals. God's going to make me happy. God's going to prosper me. God's going to bless me. This is a passage given to a group of people, to the exiles. And at the same time, that God was giving them good news, Jeremiah was also sharing with them some bad news. Okay, This is not a passage about a problem-free life. These people, where are they living? In Babylon. They have already experienced the judgment of God. They are already living in a place where they would prefer not to be living. And sometimes those kinds of experiences are going to happen in our lives. And Jeremiah tells them something in chapter 29 verse 10 that they really did not want to hear. He tells them, you are going to be in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. Now, when you think about 70 years, what does that make you think about? It's a really long time. When I was in high school, I thought 30 years was a long time. But 70 years, it's not just a long time, it's a lifetime. And what it means is, is that the people who got that letter and opened it up and said, well, wonder what the prophet has to say to us. The first thing that stands out, you're going to be here, most of you, for the rest of your life. This was a passage and this was a promise that parents would have to pass on to their children because most of the parents are not going to be around when the fulfillment comes about. In fact, if you go back to verses 4 to 7 of chapter 29, here's what Jeremiah says, He says, build houses, plant gardens, get married, find spouses for your children. In other words, settle down in Babylon. You're going to be here for a long time. Psalm 122 told the Jews that they were to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jeremiah here tells the exiles that they are supposed to pray for the peace of Babylon. That almost sounds pagan. But they're supposed to pray for the peace of Babylon because they're going to be there 70 years. Okay? So Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a motivation poster. It's not, hey, everything in your life, it's all going to work out and be good and happy and peaceful and joyful. For these people, there was the hardship of 70 years living in exile. And if you want a better idea of what they really wanted, you can go back to chapter 28. And there's a story there in Jeremiah 28 where one day Jeremiah is preaching out in the streets. And he puts an animal yoke on his neck and wears it around the city as he's preaching. And he tells the people, Just like I'm wearing this yoke, you're going to be taken into bondage in Babylon. And, you know, just a very kind of negative message. In the middle of his sermon, and this has never happened to me, I hope it doesn't happen this morning, someone came up to the front, another prophet by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah grabbed the yoke off of Jeremiah, smashed it on the ground, And said, don't listen to Jeremiah. In two years, King Jehoiachin and all of the exiles will be back home. Good days are ahead. And the exile will be over. That's what the people wanted to hear. And I'm sure if they took a love offering that day, Hananiah would have got a better offering than Jeremiah did. Because Jeremiah told them, 70 years, you're going to be in exile. Jeremiah 29, 11 was not a solution to their problem instantaneously. Things were going to get worse before they ever got better. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but that light is a long way down the track. I hope this morning, the next time that you see Jeremiah 29, 11 on Facebook or Twitter, you'll think about what's going on there. But you may be saying, all right, you've kind of told us what it means for them. But so what? What does it mean for us? I've been reading somebody else's email. What does God want me to learn from this? And real quickly, I want to just share four things. As the Word of God... I think Jeremiah 29 says this to us. First of all, there are flashing warning lights on this passage. There's a warning before you ever get to the promise. And the warning is, is that we need to remember that God often corrects and disciplines His children when they go, His, when they go their way rather than His way. Along with I know the plans I have for you, there's also this warning that God takes disobedience and sin in our lives very seriously. Even if we know Jesus, even if our sins are forgiven, disobedience can have some really negative, harmful consequences in our lives. Here's what we read in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, by the way. Hebrews chapter 12. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not be much more subject to the father of spirits and live? And so God loves us and God cares about us and God has made us part of his family. And because of that, there are going to be times when we get off the path where God's going to bring painful things in our lives to draw us back to himself. And the Hebrew says, if God doesn't discipline you in that way, you're not a Christian and you're not one of his children. And so God loves us in the same way that we love our children. You love your children too much to allow them to eat candy bars for dinner. You love your children too much to let them put their hand in the moving blades of a ceiling fan. You love your children too much to let them ride their bikes out on 220. And God loves us too much to simply allow us to go our own way. God loves you too much to let you chase after things that are going to hurt you or bring harm into your family. God corrects us, not because he wants us to show, not because he wants to show us who's boss, or to punish us, or to make us miserable, but because he wants us to experience every blessing that comes from following him. God doesn't want you and he doesn't want me to miss out on the abundant life that he's given us in Christ. And so sometimes we're going to go through hard things so that God can get our attention. The great theologian John Wayne said, life is hard, it's even harder when you're stupid. And uh, I just said, under honor my friend Leo Persu, who's here today. But, you know, when we make bad choices, there are going to be consequences to that. And one of the things that I'm thankful for is that we can learn the principle of reaping and sowing by reading it in the Bible rather than learning it in life. And so this morning, maybe, maybe God's trying to get your attention about something. And, and I hope that you see the warning lights that are there in Jeremiah 29. No matter where you're at, if God, has given you the, if God has gotten your attention, he can also provide the forgiveness and grace that you need to make the changes that are there. Second thing I'm reminded of real quickly, even in his judgment, God shows grace. Even in his judgment, God shows grace. And after he had sent these people into exile, he promised them, I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to destroy you. When the city of Jerusalem was lying in ruins, the word of hope that the people had is what we find in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 24 to 25. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will have hope in Him. And I'm so thankful that in our lives, God's mercy always trumps His wrath and His judgment. Psalm 30 says, His anger is but for a moment, but His favor is for a lifetime. And the only condition for for receiving that grace and for experiencing that mercy in our lives is simply turning to God and seeking Him with all of our hearts. No matter where you're at this morning, you can turn to God. No matter how far you've drifted away, no matter how long it's been, no matter the last time that you were in church, if you will turn to God and seek Him, You can experience His mercy and His grace this morning. Remember, verses 12 to 14 in Jeremiah 29 come right after verse 11, and here's what it says. Then you will seek me and call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you when you seek me with all of your heart. And if God has gotten your attention this morning, It may be just simply that He's drawing you back to yourself. If there has never been a time in your life where you have committed yourself to Christ and made that personal in your life, where you have received Him as your Lord and Savior, that may be what God is talking to you about this morning. You need to seek Him and to find the forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus. The book of Joel and the book of Romans says, whoever calls On the name of the Lord, will be saved. It's that simple. It's simply confessing that Jesus is Lord. And it's believing that his death, burial, and resurrection have provided the forgiveness of your sins. And then real quickly, the last two things that I think we see in this passage are when you think of Jeremiah 29.11, God's plans for our welfare are way better than simply health and prosperity. If you re- reduce Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, to a promise of health, wealth, and never having bad hair days, you have greatly reduced what this passage is talking about. The word there is shalom. And God had promised Israel blessings in the land and prosperity and abundance and good harvest. But the thing that gave Israel their shalom, most of all, was their relationship with God. In Christ... No millionaire has in his bank account anything that can compare to the spiritual riches that we have in Christ. And as I was uh, reading over Ephesians this past week and thinking about this, there are a number of times where the book simply says, you need to remember where your real riches are. You have been blessed in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have been given the forgiveness of your sins by the riches of His mercy. God's power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life according to the riches of His glory. And Paul says, I hope that you can just have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you can know the hope to which you have been called and what are the riches of His his glorious inheritance that is there for us in Christ. And then finally, I think the last thing that Jeremiah 29.11 reminds us as God's word for us is that it reminds us, it promises us, it assures us that God is going to accomplish His purposes in our lives just as He did for the exiles. God loved them. God cared about them. They were His people. God loves us. God cares for us. God will fulfill His purposes in our lives Because we are his people. God's purpose for the exiles was to bring them home. God's purpose for us is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what happens in your life, no matter sometimes how much you seem to get off the track, God will never stop working out His purposes in your life. He's working them out now. And I just want to close with these two passages. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds me an awful lot of what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He had been sold into slavery, hated by his brothers, falsely accused, left to rot in prison. And at the end of that process, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant all of this for evil, but God meant it for good. And, and God has fulfilled his good purposes in my life. And when I read Jeremiah 29, 11 in the New Testament, this passage reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things work together for good to those that love God. And are called according to his purpose. And the moment that something bad has happened in your life, that's probably not the verse that you want someone quoting to you. But it is a reminder that even when things don't seem good in our lives, even when exiles are living in Babylon a long way from home, even when Joseph is in prison, God fulfills his good purposes in our lives. And we can draw near to him and seek him this morning. Confident that that's what God is going to do in our lives. And if God has made you hungry and thirsty to know him in a personal way. You also today can experience the blessing and the gift of eternal life. Simply by calling on the name of the Lord. And believing and trusting in what Jesus has done for you. Let's bow together.